Amen. again. If you missed it, I'm Chris. My, I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Springs Church. Just uh, really honored to be spending my Sunday with you. Um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to spend our day there in Matthew chapter 15. Um, before we do that, I um, just want to kind of recap. We're in a series called Questions. We started last week. And we're asking, not asking, we're not asking questions. We are looking at some of the questions, remember Jesus asked 307 plus or minus a few questions in the New Testament. We're looking at some of the questions that he asks of his people, uh, of, of, of his followers, of his disciples, uh, of the Pharisees, of the crowds, even some questions he asked God. It's okay to ask questions of God. And we're going to kind of examine those questions to see how they can change our lives by the way we answer. And so since we're talking about questions, I want to start today with the most obvious topic I could ever think of, food. And well, if you know me, you know your boy likes to eat, and food is ab- absolutely the most obvious topic uh, I could ever start with. But and I don't really want to talk about food so much. I want to talk about people who prepare food, because I was lucky enough growing up to have both of my grandmothers still alive for much of my young days. Uh, so my, my father's mother, Grandma Beatty, we call her Grandma, right? That's Grandma one. And my mother's mother, uh, Grandma Paul, Paul was her last name. We call her GP, Grandma Paul, GP. So Grandma and Grandma Paul, both of them phenomenally amazing cooks. Anybody have a grandma who could just throw down some food? That's right. That's right. But it, totally different ways of approaching the meal. Now, my grandmother Beatty, Grandma, when she threw down a meal, No matter how many people were there, there were six times as much food as people were on the table, right? You could eat firsts and seconds and thirds and fourths. That's where I got my love of food, by the way, because I'd go to Grandma Beatty's house. I'd go to Grandma's house for dinner, and, like, i just eat, you know. Can I have seconds? Yup. Can I have thirds? Yup. Can I have fourths? Yup. Now, Grandma Paul, GP, on the other hand, was not that kind of cook. She was a great cook, but I guess because she ran a little daycare center in her house, she cooked exactly enough for you to eat without any waste. She got used to cooking for kids, so they didn't waste a whole lot of food. But if you ate at her house and there were three people eating dinner, she made two and seven-eighths servings of everything. That's how it was. And, and, And that's all great, except for this problem. As a kid, I spent all my weekdays at Grandma Paul's house. So, you know, every day for dinner, I'm like, can I have a little bit more? She's like, no, you got to save that for dinner. So, you know, you couldn't take too much. And I was always like, you know, had this thing. Grandma Beatty, we got to eat dinner at her house maybe like once a month or something like that. But when I got smart when I was older because I would just visit Grandma Beatty. You ever go to your grandma's house and she'd be like, have you eaten? Right? Every time I walked into Grandma's house, have you eaten? And I'd be like, hmm, I might have just eaten five minutes ago. I'd be like, no, I'm hungry. And she'd throw down the food, right? She'd throw down the food. It's 
<laughs> but I tell you what, that those days I spent at GP's house, kind of worrying about whether I was going to be full at the end of dinner or not, maybe they scarred me a little bit. I don't know. I still had this fear of being, and Susie can attest to this, I, I have a fear of being someplace where there is no food readily available. And don't I? True. And some of that's because I'm diabetic, right? So there might be a time when I have to go get something to eat. We were at Ikea the other day shopping. We were having a good time looking at all the tchotchkes and decorations and all that kind of stuff. And for the first time ever, my blood sugar drops, and I'm like, I got to get something to eat. So we're getting ready to leave. I was going to go out to the car and, like, drink my juice box. She's like, why don't you go get some meatballs? I'm like, that's an excellent, excellent idea. So I had, I had Ikea meatballs for the first time in my life. Yes, they are good. Absolutely. Who said that? Yes, they are. Go Ikea meatballs. I will definitely have them again. So some of it is because I'm diabetic, but I believe there is some grandma trauma going on there, too, with my whole thing about food. But, but look, if we're honest, I know I'm kind of joking about food, but if we're honest, most of us have fears about not having enough, way more than we have fears about not having enough food. We have fears about not having enough money or things or or whatever it is and some of that sometimes it's our upbringing right we we were a family that was not what i would consider upper middle class me and my brother either had hand-me-down clothes or we shopped at dollar general when dollar general sold clothes if you're familiar with that you know that everything that was sold at dollar general in the 1980s had a tag on it that said slightly irregular but will not affect wear so me and my brother used to make a joke about that. I mean, if you're going to have to wear Dollar General clothes, you might as well joke about it. So we'd walk around the house, we'd pull one sleeve way down like this, and we'd be like, see, slightly irregular, but will not affect wear. It was a funny thing. It could be your upbringing. It could be that you're just, you know, one of those financial planning kind of guys or girls. You know, you just want to be ready. You want to make sure you got enough. You want to make sure your family's taken care of. You want to make sure that if any tragedy happens in your life, you're taken care of. It could be you're just a worrier. And you always worry that there's not enough to go around or that what you have might not be enough. It could also be that we're greedy. I don't know. I just call it like I see it. But society doesn't help any, does it? Culture tells us that we got to have more. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, I'd venture to say that most people here probably have a full refrigerator. And maybe even a full pantry next to that. I got closets full of clothes with shoes in them and a box full of 10 watches. We got two or more cars in the driveway so we can take one in each direction. Don't have to waste time making turns. You know, we got a lot of stuff. But if you've ever, ever truly been in need, if you've ever really wondered where your next meal might be coming from, if you've ever worried or gone through some really tough times, or maybe, maybe you've ever wondered, what in the world could I possibly have to offer? How can my little bit of this thing I have really help anything? Maybe you've wondered, God could never use this little stuff I have. Or maybe even worse, you're thinking, I have no value. Or maybe you think, I'm less than. I look around and I compare myself to other people and I'm less than. Forget about what I have. It's not even about the stuff I have. God could never use me. If you've ever thought any of those things or maybe you're thinking one of those things right now, look, sit back, strap in, hold on because today's question 
is going to show us how God can use even the smallest little thing to do amazing and wonderful things in your life and in the lives of other people around you. So God, help us today to truly soak in this message because it's so powerful on so many levels. Your word is always true. Your word is always good. But today I believe you have something really good for us. And so help us to just open ourselves up to accept what you have to say. But more than that, to internalize it and implement it in our lives. Make us all like sponges. And use me, however you see, the best way. Make everything here about you and take me out of the picture, God. We love you so much, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And together as a church, we'll say amen. amen. Have you ever gone to like a family reunion or maybe like a church picnic, a company picnic or a potluck dinner where, you know, potluck dinner. Everybody's supposed to bring something. The rule generally is you bring enough for your family plus one person, right? That way everybody got enough to eat. Uh, but imagine you went to a place like that and you and one other family out of the hundred families that showed up were the only people to bring something to the potluck dinner. That is kind of the situation that today's question happens in the middle of. Jesus has been traveling around the countryside, teaching people, healing people, doing his Jesus thing, doing what Jesus does, getting into fights with the Pharisees, and then throwing down some truth, spitting some truth out there, and then he decides he's going to take a little rest. And maybe his idea is he wants to get some alone time with his guys, with his disciples, and he heads up on this mountain, and, and we got to believe Jesus is probably tired. He's probably been doing this for a long time. Uh, and he heads up to the mountain to get some rest. Only that didn't happen. Because everybody around, in all the towns around, heard that Jesus was up on the mountain. They knew that Jesus was this man who was doing amazingly wonderful, miraculous things. And so they all beat feet up the mountain to him to get their people taken care of. They wanted their blind relatives to be seeing again. They wanted their crippled relatives to be walking again. They wanted, they wanted the healing and the miracles that they had seen and heard about Jesus doing. So he goes up on this mountain to try to get a little bit of rest and ends up in a three-day healing fest of people from all around the town. And that's where we pick up our story. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 says this, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? This is textbook Jesus, right? Textbook Jesus. Jesus goes up on this mountain to get a little bit of alone time with him and his guys. The crowds start coming up, and the first thing Jesus says after he kind of deals with them for a few days, healing them, is, wait a minute, we got to feed them. We got to take care of them. He shows compassion. It says he has compassion for the people because this, this is who Jesus is, right? No matter what situation you're going through, no matter how long you've been walking in the desert, no matter how hopeless you may think your situation is, no matter what you think you're missing, 
no matter how unseen you believe you are, he sees you. He sees you. And it says here that he physically fed these people. He wanted to physically feed these people. But I got to tell you, the promise for you sitting here today is exactly the same. He sees you and he has compassion for you. And he says, I don't want you to go hungry without the bread of life. Jesus Christ in your life. And he calls out to you and he says, I will feed you a meal that will never, ever leave you hungry again. That's what he does. He knows us. He sees us. He cares for us. He will never leave us alone. That's who Jesus is. We see it here, and he's doing it right now. He's doing it right now in your life. I promise you. What I find really interesting, though, about this kind of passage we just read is his disciples' reaction to him wanting to feed these people. Because he says, we got to feed these people. And the first thing they're like is, well, how are we going to feed them? What are we going to do? Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Except if you page back one page in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000 people with an Arthur Treacher's lunchbox. <laughs> and they were there. And then they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. This is what I call classic short-term memory here, folks. And they're not alone. I get it. I get it. Have you ever watched God provide in a huge way in your life? Then, and then you come across this situation where things may seem bleak and you're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? We forget. We forget. Have you ever watched God use you in a big way to minister to somebody or to serve in somebody's life or to provide light or the hands and feet of Jesus? And then the next day you feel unworthy like you can't be used? Have you ever watched God multiply your smallest offering given sacrificially? And then the next day you feel like you're not enough. That's exactly what they did. God is the God who keeps his promises. And God is the God who provides always, not just in one situation, but not in the next. He is always, always, always going to be who God is, the man of his word. And then he asked the question, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Talking to his guys. And they said seven and a few small fish. Notice what he did not ask. He did not ask, how many loaves can you find out there in the crowd? He did not ask, how many loaves do you think they could have in the town if you were to walk down the mountain? He did not ask, hey, go to, that, go, to that, uh, go to that taco chariot down the street and see if they got any extra bread. He didn't ask that. He said, how many loaves do you have? Do you have disciples of mine? How many loaves do you have? He's asking for their personal stash. They would have been carrying these around. They had these baskets, right, when they walked around the countryside, and they would have these baskets full of provision. And they would keep some food in there and, you know, some stuff they would need in case they couldn't make it to a town, in case they had to camp out in the desert or on the trail or whatever overnight. They had their own stuff with them, right? He asked them for their personal stash, what they brought with them. How many loaves do you have? And it wasn't a whole lot. I mean, think about it. We have to assume there was at least 12 guys there, probably more, because while we 
think the number 12, 12 apostles, 12 disciples. Jesus had a lot of disciples. There was a lot of people who were in close community with Jesus. And among all of them, they had seven loaves and a few small fish, right? They were probably kind of worried that they'd be running short for themselves. They had been on that mountain for three days, too. They were smart enough to bring some food with them, but they didn't have a lot left. And I want to make this point. Jesus never puts limits or quotas or minimums on what we can offer him. He never does. Jesus never looks at you if you are offering what you have sacrificially. And he never says, that's not enough. He never says, I can't use that. He never says, try again. Come back when you got a little bit more. Try, come back when you get a little bit more right. Come back when you have a little bit more to offer. Listen, Jesus can use whatever we have to offer. He can use everything we give him sacrificially. If we are giving it to him with the right intentions and the right, and the right purpose and the right reasons, if we're not being stingy and holding on to it, Jesus can use whatever we have to offer. But, come on, that's right. But, and this is a big but, he does ask. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. He does ask us, however, however, he does ask us to offer what we have sacrificially. He didn't ask the disciples, how much extra bread do you have? He didn't ask the disciples, how many loaves can you spare? He didn't ask the disciples, take out what you need for the next day or so and give me what's left over. He said, that's what you got? I'll take it all. Give it to me. He asked sacrificially for what we have, even if it's small. Listen, a lot of us think just because what we have is small, God can't use it, but he can use whatever we offer him sacrificially. We've got to kind of get out of this place where we're thinking about ourselves and making sure that we're taken care of first and, and, and get into this place where we're going to offer what we have sacrificially, thinking about the needs of others, thinking about the needs of God's kingdom. And it says this in Philippians chapter 2, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Listen, when we offer whatever we have, however much it is, even if it's the smallest little tiny offering, when we give that sacrificially and in humility, God can use it to do amazing things. He is the God of multiplication. He created the entire universe out of nothing. If he can multiply nothing into the entire universe, imagine what he can do when we offer what we have to him sacrificially. He is the God who provides. He's the God of provision. He is the God who sustains. He's the God who blesses. And he's the God who returns that blessing to us. Whatever we have, if we offer it sacrificially, he can take it, he can multiply it, and he can do amazing things with it. Because watch what happens. Watch what happens. Matthew chapter 15, verse 35. It says, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. So he thanked God. He gave the seven loaves, now broken in two, 14 loaves to the disciples. And they started feeding the people. And then it says this. 
they all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You may have read this before and just kind of sped right on by this passage. But this passage is so rich, such an amazing testament to what God can do. Not just in one situation, but what we're going to see. Before we look at like what everybody thinks is the main point, I want to look at something else real quick. Because if you are, if you are in this place, I want to talk to the people right now who might be struggling. Okay, I want to talk to the people who might feel a little bit lost. You might feel like you're somebody standing in that crowd of 4,000 people trying to get to Jesus, but you just can't. You're lost in that sea. I want to talk to the people who might be feeling a little bit broken, who might be feeling a little unnoticed, who might be really tired of being in that situation. And maybe you're getting a little bit weary. Because the first thing Jesus does, before he performs a miracle, before he multiplies seven little loaves of bread into so much food that you can't even imagine it, Grandma Beatty-style food, right? The first thing he does is he tells the crowd, sit down, have a seat. Imagine the scene, 4,000 people, it tells us in verse 34, it tells us 4,000 people plus women and children, 4,000 plus people standing on a mountainside, walking around, traveling. Can you imagine that scene, trying to get to Jesus with the people they need healed? They're pushing, it's like kind of trying to get on the light rail after a Ravens game, and everybody's just pushing, pushing, pushing. That's what they've been doing for three days, three days. They were hangry, man. They were worried. They were anxious. And now they're like, now I got to eat. I got more work to do. I got to travel all the way back down this mountain, back to my home, get some bread, and try to come back. And then I'm going to be last in line again to try to see Jesus just to get my miracle. Anybody relate to that in this place today? I know I do. And the first thing he tells us is sit down. I know you're hungry. I know you feel lost. I know you're worried. Relax, he says. Take a load off. Stop striving in your life to make that happen. Stop stressing whether it's going to happen or not. Look, sometimes, sometimes we need to sit still and let God do his thing. Sometimes we need to stop trying to play God and let God be God. Sometimes we just need to take it easy, take a break, sit down and let God be who he always will be, the God who provides. And we don't like that. Look, I know we don't like it. You're talking to a control freak. I don't like that. It's unnatural. But the reason he does this is because he wants us to have peace knowing that he will take care of us. And what's it say? They sat down. Jesus fed them. And they were all satisfied. Satisfied. You want to know what Jesus can do in your life? That's what he can do. No matter what you need, he can satisfy. No matter what you need, he can fulfill. No matter what you need, he will keep his promise. 
And that's an amazing, an amazing word from God in this, in this story today. But look what else happens, right? Look what else happens. He feeds them all, yes. He takes care of them, yes. They were satisfied, yes. He provides for their needs, yes. But then it tells us that when they were all satisfied, when they had had more than enough to eat, when they went back for seconds and thirds and fourths and they were sitting at Grandma Beatty's table and she kept passing the mashed potatoes around and they were satisfied, it says they picked up seven basketfuls of leftovers. Seven basketfuls of leftovers. Imagine what that means. God is so amazing in the way that he works. The disciples had seven measly loaves of bread looking at how are we going to feed 4,000 plus people. This is all we got, Jesus. If we give you our bread, we're not going to have enough to eat. He takes what they've got, that small little offering, and gives them back seven basketfuls of leftovers so that they can feed themselves for who knows how long. Listen to what God does here. Listen, they were probably worried that they weren't going to have anything left. But God provided. He took their sacrificial offering, everything they had in their food provision baskets, and he used it. And then he gave it back to them tenfold. This is what God does. And I've seen him do this in my life. If we get out of our own way, if we get out of thinking about ourselves first, if we just offer whatever we have, sacrificially when I, when I was called to be lead pastor of this church and then we closed down and then we're meeting in living rooms and garages and all that kind of stuff my brain my brain you know how my brain works if you're working with me on a project you know as soon as there's an idea my brain starts spouting out drawings and plans and designs and we got to do this and we got to do this my brain says we have to I have to find a building for our church to meet in that's what I said I have to find a building for the church to meet in. And I did. And then my brain got even worse, right? My brain was on steroids. We found that building up on Mountain Road. Anybody remember that building? 16,000 square feet. And my brain is sore. And I'm like, this is all we need. If I can just make this a church, if I can just make this building work, if I can just get this building, if I can, if I can, if I can. And God said, nope. It ain't going to happen. I will not bless that. And I was crushed for a while. And I said, okay, God, show me what you got. And let me tell you what, if you don't think God's got a sense of humor, he does. Because I'm over here with stars in my eyes, about a 16,000 square foot, two-story building that we could do anything we ever wanted in. We could put a basketball court. And a bowling alley up in there if we wanted to. And he says, I got this building over here. It's 30 feet by 40 feet. That's all you need. That's the one. That's the building. All I want from you is to sacrificially offer your time. Sacrificially offer what you got. Just trust me. And I got to tell you, I had a little bit of doubt. And Susie can tell you, I'm like, I don't think that building's big enough. But you know what? God knows what he's doing. And we remained faithful to him. We remained faithful to him for a year over there. And you know what he did? He started bringing kids in here, and we didn't have any place to put them. So you know what God did? He said, I'm going to give you that place over there. And we built kids' rooms. We had a place to put kids. We started kids' ministry. And then you know what happened? They started growing. We got more kids. 
and more kids until those rooms became full. And then God said, all right, you've been faithful with what you've had. You've been faithful with a little bit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to multiply that, and I'm going to keep growing you. This is what God does. When I was trying to do things my own way, God was putting up roadblocks every step of the way, and everything that I did was a crack in the wall, and this didn't have it. It didn't have any heat, and it didn't have any air conditioning, and there was no plumbing in there. It wasn't even a toilet. And God said, no, I'm going to give you what you need right now for today. Just give me the little bit you've got. Just give me that little bit you've got. And he provided, and he's still providing for this church. This is an amazing testament to what God can do. He always, always provides. He will always keep his promises. He has been doing it for centuries and centuries and centuries, eternity past, and he will keep doing it until the day he returns to reclaim this earth. That is what he does. He will lead you beside still waters. He will prepare for you a table that you can feast on. God is a man of his word. That's right. Come on. And the reason I love this question so much, how many loaves do you have? And the story that surrounds it is that it's not just a one dimensional question. It's not just a one dimensional story. It can speak to us on so, so many levels. But the cool thing is, this is how God works. No matter what level you identify with, the message is still the same. The message is still the same. If you are one of those who are in the crowd, one of those who are feeling a little bit lost, maybe feeling a little bit broken, maybe you're hungry for something that you've, you've been looking for and never been satisfied, you've been striving, you've been stressing, you've been working, and nothing seems to be moving. If you're that person, the message for you is let it go. Sit down. Relax. God's got you. He will provide. Let go of your control. Let go of your fear. Let go of your need to play God. And that may sound like something you don't think you're doing, but when we try to control our situation, when we think we know what's best for us, we're playing God instead of letting God play God, and he's really good at it. Let it go. Let go of that feeling that you're just lost in the crowd and nobody sees you because he does. Let go of that feeling that, that you're just unnoticed. Let go of that feeling that you're unimportant. Let go of that feeling that you're unloved. More importantly, let go of that feeling that you're unlovable because God sees you and he loves you and he knows you. Regardless of who we are, he says, you are amazingly and fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love you and I went to the cross for you and I died for your sins. I will satisfy your every need if you just let it go and let me take control. He sees you. Sit down. Let it go. He will provide. He will keep his promise. Now, if you are on the disciple side of the coin, maybe you're worried about what you have just isn't enough. What you have could never be used by God. What you have, it, it, it doesn't seem like the same thing that everybody else is given. I mean, I see what people give, and I see what people do, and I could never offer that much. The message is the same. Let it go. Offer it up sacrificially. Let go of this feeling that God can't use your small offering. If you give it in humility and sacrificially, God will do amazingly wonderful things with it. 
let go of this feeling that I only got one hour to serve, so I might as well not do anything. It doesn't make sense for me to go there and come back. One hour. God can do amazing things. Let it go. Let go of that feeling that, well, I got 20 bucks, but I know God can't use that. Amazingly, he will do amazing and wonderful things with it. He's the God of multiplication. Let go of that feeling that says my talents aren't as good as theirs. I can't do what they can do. I can't do, I can't sing, I can't play an instrument. I guarantee you can do something because God's created us all to do something. In his church, in his economy, in his kingdom, let it go. God can use whatever you offer. If we offer it in humility and sacrificially. If we say, God, I know it's not much, but here's my seven loaves. Watch what he'll do with it. Watch what he'll do with it. He may use your seven loaves to feed the people who he just told to sit down. Think about that. That's pretty cool, huh? He might. Let go. Let go of control. And let go of the offering. The result is the same. God will provide. And when you think you're giving up your last loaf of bread, tomorrow... God's going to put another loaf of bread in your refrigerator. That's what he does. He's done it in our lives many times. He's done it in the life of this church over and over and over again. And I'm sure there are lots of people here who can testify that when you offer whatever you have sacrificially and with humility, not thinking about yourself but thinking about the needs of others, God always provides. He always pays it back. He always puts it back in there. God will provide abundantly, immensely, and immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. That's who he is. He is the God who provides. When he asks, how many loaves do you have? He already knows the answer to the question. Our job is to let it go. Let it go and let him use it. And when I talk to the other crowd, right, those people who are feeling lost and broken, and maybe you've just been trying to do it on your own forever and ever and ever. And it's probably not working. You're probably still left feeling a little bit empty. You're probably left feeling unsatisfied by this world because that's what the world does. The world always promises you something it's not going to deliver. And it does that so that it just keeps you running on that treadmill over and over and over again. The only one who can truly satisfy is Jesus. He doesn't call himself the bread of life just to be cool. He calls himself the bread of life because he says... If you accept me as your Lord and Savior, you will never go thirsty. You will never go hungry. I am the one who satisfies. And if you've never known that feeling of peace and satisfaction, resting in the love of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to make that decision today. I'm going to invite you to just make the Lord of sustenance, the Lord of provision, the Lord of multiplication, this God who can do immeasurably and immensely more than you can ever imagine. I'm going to invite you to make him the guy who's in control of your life. Because it may not make your life easier, but it will absolutely make your life better in every way, in every way. And so with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if right now you feel God's grace pulling on you, we're going to pray this prayer together and you can ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus, I believe you are the Lord and Savior of the world. 
Jesus, I believe you died on a cross as payment for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose on the third day, defeating my separation from God. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, God, for anybody who has come to that point of decision today. We know that you will do anything, anything to just get one back reunited with you in relationship. And that's what Jesus came to do, to pay our, our sin debt so that we can have that relationship with you. We can rely on you. We can count on you. You can be our God. You can be in our corner. The same God that worked miracles way back when is the same God who is working miracles in our lives now. And thank you for that, God. Thank you. Thank you for your promise of everlasting life. Thank you for your promise of salvation. Thank you for your promise uh, uh, of never leaving us. Thank you for your promise of always going before us and beside us. Thank you for your promise that you above all are God and you above all love us and see us and you care for us. And you have compassion for us. So help us, God. When we feel lost in that crowd, we've been striving for what seems like forever to sit and relax and let you do what you do and for those of us who might be feeling like what we have to offer just isn't good enough help us to realize God that if we give you whatever we have sacrificially you can do amazingly wonderful things with and finally, we just ask that you keep everybody healthy and safe until we meet again. God, and we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and together as a church, we'll say amen. If you're at home, type amen. If you have made a decision today, if you're online, you can let us know there, or you can, you can send an email to hello at hsc.church if you don't want to do it online, but you can mark it there. If you are here with us and you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, you can mark that on the back of your card. You can either hand it to me after service or there's a box right over there that says tithes and offerings. You can drop it in there um, and we'll pray over that. Or if you just like to come to me and say, hey, I did it, we'll pray with you right now. If you need prayer for anything else, we'll have people available after service to pray. Um, and, you know, that's what we do. We believe prayer first is our best defense, right? So I love you guys and I'll see you next week.